Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to a brand new edition of the ODPH Podcast better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join the conversation on the social media accounts. They're all right there. You can interact with us. We talk about all the topics we discuss on the show and even some we don't. Right there on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you name it, we're there. Also, you can check out the T Public Store where there's always something going on there. So if you want to really support the show, that is the best way to do it. And you can also support if you want to sign up for the Patreon. One tier, $2 a month, and a lot of bonus content on the way. Also remember to check out Parlay Points, the music section of the show. You can check out The Classified, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast. You can also check out the directory. Pat, how many providers are we on? 111,000. So there's no reason you can't follow, subscribe, and drop a five-star review for your favorite podcast here. And it all helps to grow the brand and keep this conversation rolling on social media because that's what we like to do here, folks. So if it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media, use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show... We finally got an updated version of a movie's trailer that we have been keeping our eyes on. Mm-hmm. It was teased a while back, mm-hmm. and obviously there's been a buzz going on about this movie because <laughs> we are kicking into the new phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A buzz. I see what you did there. See? Well played indeed. And now that we are in 2023, there's a whole new movie slate coming out for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's new shows coming to Disney Plus that everybody's been very, 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 very quiet about, if you noticed. It hasn't been the big pomp and circumstance yet. I feel we're going to get a teaser trailer during the Super Bowl this year like they've done in years past. Probably. So we'll probably see something about Secret Invasion get announced then, and then it's going to spiral from there. Which, hey, the more content, the better is what I say. There's no such thing as burnout if it's good. But everything is hinging on what is going to be unfolding in movie theaters very, very shortly because it's coming up in February. Mm. And that is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Mm-hmm. The third installment. God, that sounds so weird for me to say. I know. It feels like just yesterday you and I and a bunch of others were going into the theaters to see the first one. Yeah. And I had no idea what I was getting in for because I had no idea who the hell he was. Well, for me being an old school Marvel comics fan... The fact I live in a world that successful movie franchise exists, such as Mm Ant-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy, Mm -hmm. make me nerd out just a little too much. But it's very surreal, like, okay, I'm going to wake up soon and this isn't going to happen. Because Ant-Man has always been a character in the Marvel Comics universe that I don't want to say has been a joke, but has always been one that reflected the times he was created in. Never a top priority. Exactly. Not somebody that's a true heavyweight in the Avengers, but he had a founding member. And obviously the course of Hank Pym's character going on through the MCU has been something very interesting. And I mean the comics universe, yes. to say the least. Yes. Obviously this is another interpretation of Ant-Man because it's Ant-Man 2 Scott Lang, played by the one and only Paul Rudd, who is actually one 
the pop culture audience over with this portrayal. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think if he was if he's not in this, I honestly don't think this movie works. No, I mean there are some guys who uh, who I think could pull it off, but not as well as Paul Rudd has done. No, because he has just really made you root for this bumbling ex-con mm-hmm. who is trying to do good, but yet is not exactly a hundred percent a superhero. Even though he's trying very hard, he yeah. really is. But when he is now joining the Avengers and is really behind some of the biggest moments in the MCU, he's really won people over with his performance. And now there's a real fan base involved with his character. And obviously with the addition of the Wasp played by Evangeline Lilly, Uh who has done a great job as Hope Van Dyne, this has really been a, a pairing that has worked well for the cinematic universe. And obviously we have all been waiting to hear what they were going to do for a third movie. The second movie was fun. That yeah. we, we can't take anything yeah. away from that. If there's any movie franchise in the MCU that really captures that Disney vibe, it's Ant-Man. I would say Ant-Man 2 also, I would say, had the craziest cliffhanger in MCU history to this point. Yes, when they were sucked into the quantum realm. Well, well Scott was, mm-hmm. and then everybody else fucking disappeared. Yeah. Because this took place after Infinity War, so it was post-snap. Mm-hmm. We had no idea what was going on with him. Just that there was a mention that he was under house arrest, and then you know we're, everyone's like eagerly anticipating to see what happens. And then you get to the end where he goes into the quantum realm, and then he's like, "All right, I got the stuff we're looking for, guys, guys." And it just cuts back to normal size world or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and everyone's been snapped away, and it's like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. So it definitely kicked off arguably the biggest moment in the MCU history, and that is Avengers Endgame. So now we're heading into phase five and what better franchise to usher that in than the most unlikely hero Mm -hmm. in the MCU. Yeah. And we did get the first teaser trailer and obviously there's a lot of stuff going on. We do know that Jonathan Majors is now joining the MCU as Kang the Conqueror. Mm -hmm. We do know that Scott's daughter, Cassie Lang, is going to be grown up now. Well, aged aged up. Aged up, I should say. And she'll be played by Catherine Newton. Mm -hmm. So... We're going to see a new changing of the guard in the MCU. Yeah. But this is going to be the first time we really see Jonathan Majors unleashed as Kang the Conqueror. Yep. Not a Mortis that we did see at the end of Loki season one. This is going to be the true one that we've seen in the comics, the ruthless Conqueror that goes back in time and really has been more of an Avengers foe than the Fantastic Four, even though he is conflicted with both. Mm-hmm. And obviously being somebody from the future with futuristic weapons and intellect and knowing basically your move before you're going to do it right, has always been a difficult challenge and now has been brought to a greater ex- you know, exclamation point to the pop culture audience that this is going to be a real threat. And Marvel has done a masterful job illustrating that point mm-hmm. in this trailer. Now, this past Monday... We had the second trailer get released. Yeah. There's a lot more plot points that have been re- unveiled here. So what we're going to do is a full breakdown of the trailer. Now, if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. We would really do appreciate it. We like to give a spoiler-free statement. Mm-hmm. We don't like to ruin anything for anybody. So if you haven't seen it and you want to be spoiled, we're going to put the liner notes in the podcast show notes to say when you need to duck out. Because once we go into spoiler talk, we give you a countdown. So it's like the final warning. After that countdown, we go live in the deep dives. We don't hold anything back. So you've been fair warned. 
That being said, Pad, give me your spoiler-free statement on the second trailer of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Trailer was good. Excited to see it. Um, also fearful for what's going to happen because good Lord. But no, overall, it was a good trailer. This answered a lot of questions I had. And it raised a couple more. Mm-hmm. And we did see the cameo of one very, very cult-followed villain in mm-hmm. the MCU whose stock is rising and to see who it is and how they're going to be bringing that person into the MCU, this is going to be something fun, but that's where the fun stops because I have a feeling about this movie that the MCU is really going to be changing quite heavily mm-hmm. in Phase 5, and a lot of our favorites are not going to make it to the end of Phase 5. Probably not. That would be the guess, but I'm excited for what I saw, nevertheless. That being said, in three, two, one, talk to me, Pat. This trailer, like I said, trailer was fun. Scott Lang's gonna get his fucking ass kicked, and it's gonna be something to see. But I'm excited for it. We had Modoc. Yeah, we did. We had freaking Modoc. Was not expecting that. I heard rumors. And I know that Corey Stahl, who played Yellow Jacket in the original Ant-Man movie, was rumored, stressing rumored, Mm -hmm. to be playing this role. Mm -hmm. But we had not seen anything. We had not heard anything. And if you've never seen MODOK in the comics Mm -hmm. or the video game, he's a huge head, small arms, small legs. He appeared in one of the animated shows in the 90s. I forget which one, though. Might have been Iron Man. You're going to see a ton of toys come out from Bodoc. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, he has a cult following. Like, there's certain characters in Marvel that people resonate to. And, like, I'm not making fun of this. This is just, like, it's a a weird thing because Modoc has always been a joke villain. I mean, the mechanized organism designed only for killing. Mm Mm-hmm who has been connected with AIM, the advanced ideas uh, mechanics, who have always been a thorn in Iron Man's side and countless others throughout the MCU. He has just been the genius trapped inside this deformed body, I guess is the nicest way to put it. Yeah. Because he has a monster head, a laser coming out of the top of it, and small arms and small legs. Like, it's just, it's built for Disney. And just the fact we're getting this is just another thing that, like, we live in this world where MODOK is going to be a franchise player. Yeah, uh, reading some fun facts, courtesy of the folks over at IGN. Uh, he made his first appearance in Tales of Suspense, issue number 93 in 1967. Uh, was a guinea pig for AIM, and then it's the leader. Uh, you mentioned what the name stands for. Uh, he's super intelligent, telepathic, and has a deadly mental beam. Uh, and then he uses a life support unit called the Doomsday Chair. Yeah. Like, he's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it, it, but he's a product of that time, though. And this is when Marvel is just really getting zany, if yeah. I can use that word. Hey, it's the 60s. Yeah, which, I mean, but that's fun, though. But the fact, like, he's translated over, and more recently he had the animated show on with, Hulu. With Patton Oswalt, yeah. Yeah, which, vastly underrated for what it was. Uh, you had to take it very much with with, with a grain of salt, though. Like it's, it's not for everybody. Featured in the MCU's Avengers video game, right? That you know Square Enix came out with. Yeah, so love I it or hate it, forgot about that. Yeah, he was in there. So you have to just kind of process that and go, okay, you're now really pushing him along with this franchise. What's going to happen from here? Anybody's guess. But just the fact we had him on screen, that was a big deal. 
But this really set the tone for Jonathan Majors. Like, I think if anything from this trailer, we know that they want to really establish him mm-hmm. as a real threat. Well, because that's the thing with, with overarching villains, you know, and movie villains, is like you always want the next one to be bigger than the last one. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have Thanos, who was such a thorn in the side for, God, 10 movies, whatever it was, even if he wasn't there, yeah, he, he was kind of lurking in the shadows. You know, so you got Thanos, who, like, almost conquered the universe and gathered the infinity stones and almost and 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 well not almost he did wipe out half of all life in the universe so like that's a freaking tall receipt to beat mm-hmm. you know so you you really got to bring your a game and and really come up with something crazy to top that yeah and and kang is a villain of that level they're not going to do Doctor Doom right away like that's no. the only one that is eventually coming to the MCU oh, yeah. that's coming and I'm not doubting that he will be the last one standing at the end of Secret Wars. Probably. When that happens. Probably. As the saying goes, oh, Lord, he coming. Oh, yeah. There is no doubt in my mind that he will eventually be the one to take out Kang, probably. Because we do know that there's going to be Avengers back-to-back movies coming out, the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. Right, right. As it's slated right now, barring anything changing between now and obviously when those films are slated to start uh, filming. But... Kang is a villain that definitely reaches across the MCU. I'm not sure how much he's had to deal with the X-Men. I'm sure that there's been a he's time probably, or two they've crossed. Say he's probably in, in the however many years Marvel's been around, I'm sure he's shown up. Right, but he's more synonymous with the Avengers, in my opinion. Avengers Forever is a comic series that I think really kind of showcased him to the, to the point. So that said, this trailer, like I, just reiterating, I think that they really deep-dived into how much of a threat he is, how he comes across... And Majors just really played into the cold demeanor of him. Now that I think about it, too, I want to say he made an appearance in one of the more recent Avengers TV, uh, cartoon series. Uh, I'll have to look it up and because I, I know it's not. Uh, I know it's one of the more recent ones, but I know they faced off against him in one of the more recent ones, too. Yeah, he has been slowly creeping back in to the MCU. Uh, the comics or the, I mean, the cartoons and you know more more of a featured role in the comics universe. I know there's been a couple series that have came out about him as well. So they definitely want to start pushing him, and this is a way to win over the pop culture audience, which we've talked about at length too. There's a comics audience and there's a pop culture audience. You have to win over the pop culture audience if you're a movie studio. The MCU has done a great job about doing this because Thanos is now one of the most legendary villains of all time and is really broken out to be the big bad of the MCU, even though originally he was not. It was Doctor Doom. Albeit, though, Doom is slowly going to come back and take that throne by the time it's all said and done. Oh, yeah. There's no question in my mind about it. Like I said, Doom's always been number one in my book. But for a lot of the pop culture audience, it's Thanos because they have not had that Doctor Doom exposure just yet. Kang is going to mark his territory, though, on that list. Uh He's going to be up in that top five by the time this is all said and done. And for where this trailer is going to be going with it, I think they did a masterful job about that because they really showed how ruthless he can get. There's one scene that we'll talk about yeah. that I think really put the exclamation point on it. And I think that there's a lot of stuff to be excited about for the fans moving on. Uh, so I looked it up. Uh, Kang showed up in uh, one of the two seasons, uh, computers were a little slower, uh, for uh, the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. It was a show that started in 2010, did two seasons, uh, which if you're curious and you want to watch, uh, they are on Disney+. Plus. Okay. That was, a, that was not a bad show, too, by the way. Yeah, that's, like for, what, that's what I've heard. For Marvel, for Marvel stuff, because you, you know we always have sided with DC in the animation yeah. you know, yeah. argument. 
That was not a bad one for Marvel. Yeah, that's but, what I've heard. I might check it out. But for the live action, this is where we jump into the trailer. And this, it kind of just opens up with, uh, you know, a little reminiscence, if you will, so to speak, with Kang talking and narrating about Scott Lang and you see his future and him and uh, Wasp are basically celebrities now. Yeah, it's kind of weird because like, he, he's living a good life. I mean, the opening shot we see of the trailer is uh, Scott Lang walking down the street. He's got a smile. Somebody sees him. He, he gives a little, you know, eyebrow raise and a little nod like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. You know, and then he's on the red carpet with his wife. Yeah. So obviously things have turned very well. But then you see a quick shot of Scott in costume free falling and crashing down on a planet. Then they do show a shot of his cell phone. Mm-hmm. And it's Cassie, but uh-huh. it's his young version of Cassie. Missing her two front teeth. Yeah, his young daughter is on screen. So like mm-hmm. I say, it's the young version, though, mm-hmm. because obviously she's aged now. And you see Kang is like, you have a daughter. And yeah. he's really driving that point home. And then they do show a shot of Cassie, who is aged now at this point, coming out of a jail cell. Yeah. So obviously there's a little backstory that we'll find out there. It's like there. a local police holding cell. Yeah. We, we want to stress she's not in prison. Right. She, she's She's been arrested or held for some reason, and she's uh, and, and she's being released. Right. But at the, at all this is going on while Kang is still narrating. Yeah. And he's saying, you've lost a lot of time like me. Mm-hmm. So he's really driving home the point of, like, you've lost all this time with your daughter. Yeah. And we want to stress the, ver- the picture on the phone is the one is the daughter from uh, the first two and, first two movies? Right. It, it's the suit, not the one you saw at the uh, during Avengers Endgame, but the one from the first two movies. Just to kind of like paint a picture of like how far back we're talking. Yeah. So they're definitely showing up how how much time he has lost. Yeah. With his daughter, so it's a great ploy for Kang to get him on board to whatever oh, yeah. he's trying to pull off. Oh yeah. Then they show a shot. Of Pym's studios, yeah. or uh, the laboratory, where you see that Cassie has been working on the quantum satellite to reach yeah. out and connect to people in the quantum world. It's the, one, it's the one they kind of teased at and hinted at with the first trailer. Yep. And then you see Janet Van Dyne, who's played by Michelle Pfeiffer, has been you know kind of screaming like, you know, what, what the you, fuck are you doing? Yeah, what have you done? You don't know what you're doing. And then you see the shot that you've seen in the first trailer, too, where Cassie is reaching out for Scott, loses grip, and then goes right into the quantum realm, and and Scott goes right behind her. Mm-hmm. So, uh, obviously, not a lot new there in that aspect, but they're really just trying to say with Kang, who's narrating, like, you can help, e- you know, we can help each other with this. Mm-hmm. And he's, re- and like I say, the driving point is something is involving his daughter that is going to make Scott Lang jump to help Kang. Mm-hmm. And then you see that Scott has that meeting with Kang in costume, and Kang basically does that whole promise to him. He's like, I can give you the one thing you want. What's that? Time. And we do see him come out of costume too, so I do like the special effects they're doing with that yeah, too. Yeah, and it's it almost gives that like weird endearing, you know, like I'm really trying to help you, I'm yeah. really trying to do good for you. Yeah, and it's not really working that well for him. So no. it's, it's kind of funny how they're really trying to sell that, but it's good for like I say to win over a new audience with a character like this. Then we see a shot of what I'm assuming is Chronolopolis, yeah, which is Kang's headquarters outside of time. So. We're assuming a lot of this movie is going to be taking place there. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. which I'm, which would make a lot of sense. And at this point, too, you're seeing the Janet Van Dyne is just warning everybody in, a, in around of like what Kang can do. Like he can rewrite existence, he can change the world or change timelines. So obviously, there has been a backstory between those two. Well, yeah, she clearly knows who he is because we saw in the first trailer. 
I don't think they outright said it, but they kind of like implied they were talking about him. And she's like, yeah, his name has been whispered throughout the quantum realm. Yeah. That like everybody who lives in the quantum realm knows who he is. Mm-hmm. So and, and given how long she, you know, Scott was in there for a cup of tea and probably didn't go to the certain parts of the quantum realm where Kang would be. So he wouldn't have heard the name. Yeah. But for how long Hope was. Or you Janet. Know, or Janet. Thank you. Janet was in, in the quantum realm. She knows who the hell he is. Exactly. So it's kind of an interesting play how they're doing this. But we do see at one point, though, during this narration, a shot of Scott Lang splitting in the two. Uh-huh. And I think this is going to be very important as well, because we are going to be dealing with variants throughout this movie. TVA is going to have some work to do. Oh, absolutely. And this is going to tie into that whole multiverse of uh, madness, madness vibe yeah. where you're going to see a lot of versions of different characters. Can, can we if we end up going through different timelines kind of like we did with multiverse of madness can i make a request hi marvel if you're listening make a can i make a request can we see a, a version because i don't think they'll do it in movies but can we see a version of uh like a day or like where the the villains win that would be something because i don't think they'll do it for a full movie but just just kind of like hey easter egg for the fans who know the, who know the storylines and all that you know what would be interesting if they did it for what if well, yeah, yeah. What if they can do a lot more flexibility with that? I, I understand it's not live action. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing it, though. Yeah. Like, see some of the alternate timelines but pop I'm, up. But I'm thinking if Kang's really going to illustrate, oh, here's what I can do. I'm going to show you all these different timelines and what I can do. Let me show you a timeline where if you don't listen to me, you're going to lose. Like, then that's not what actually happens. But, you know, he's just going to paint it that way. Right. And, this, and Scott's going to sit there and go, oh, my God, you're right. I have to listen to you. I love that idea. And I do, I do know for a fact people from Marvel do listen. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, so that being said, that's a great idea to do. I'd love to see that on screen. If not, like I said, worse than what if. Yeah. But then we get another shot of Janet who is talking to the group and just saying you can't trust them no matter what. And this is where Scott's, you know, f- wanting to c- reconnect with his daughter yeah. chimes in. Because yeah. he's like, I don't care who this guy is. He can, he can help us. Well, he's, I had all of what, like a cup of tea with her? Yeah. Just because he had, this, he had the split. Uh, custody mm-hmm. in the first one, yeah, and, and then he had the and then he had the uh, second one where he was under house arrest, mm-hmm. you know, because of what happened with with Civil War, you know, and, and so he really didn't get to have a lot of time with her then. Then he got sucked into the quantum realm for five years, you know, which mm-hmm. which fun fact I realized the other day. Do you realize we're now in the year that Avengers Endgame takes place? I realized that the other day. That's creepy. I know. Uh, but so he spent five years in the quantum realm away with her. So he's had, he's had literally like a cup of tea yeah. with her in the, for the amount of time they've been able to spend together. So I get why he's upset about not having a lot of time. Oh, absolutely. And especially if he can recapture those years. I mean, who wouldn't do that in his in his place? Every parent would say, would want to would say they want to recapture those memories. Absolutely. Even if they got to experience them. Yeah. So he understands and he just says, I lost so much. And he's willing to do it. And then they show young Cassie. Going up and meeting Scott and giving him a hug at a birthday party. Yeah. So obviously they're tying that back in. Like this is the whole motivation for him helping. He even tells Cassie or, or somebody because he says it while he's talking uh, modern Cassie. Yeah. You know, he says well, he can give us a second chance. Yeah. So, so so I can't help but wonder if there's some sort of, you know, given the fact we saw earlier in the trailer, Cassie was in a holding cell. Mm-hmm. So clearly she's on the wrong side of the law in certain instances. You know, but I can't help but wonder if he, if Scott, this is a part of Scott feeling some guilt and like, listen, if I was there, this wouldn't happen. I could have taught you. I could have done, oh, sure. done that. Well, you have to think about it. Like he has always tried doing the right thing and it just doesn't work out for him. 
like he he's a reluctant hero yeah. in that sense but yeah. you, you can't help but root for him like he, he wants to do the right thing but just it's not always the right thing to do what he ends up doing exactly i mean this is something you could almost say peter parker has the same yeah. kind of problems with yeah so that's why i say he makes that connection and like i said with rudd's charisma this is what carries over and this is why people really get behind this character so then we go to another shot of scott who's shrinking down into what appears to be a quantum realm area and it's kind of like a little confusing what they're doing but it's something mm-hmm. i'm noticing with the marvel cinematic universe lately they're using a lot of the same kind of shots <clears throat> yeah you know going with the cinematography that you do see this wide out shot of you know him just falling into this massive you know subatomic universe yeah and then they go to another one where you saw like the i I call it the doctor strange shot yeah where you see how it's kind of moving in like a 360 almost like a slow motion yeah so you see him like you see uh scott with hank van or hank pym and hope and janet van dyne and they're like riding through this like alien wasteland yeah like the the start of the shot they're going top to bottom but then the camera slowly starts to rotate in a counterclockwise yeah way so that eventually it's then uh, on a level field yeah and then kang is still narrating he's like let me make this easy for you and you'll bring me what i need and i'll give you what you want like you know and it's kind of like an interesting ploy as he's doing, mm-hmm. but he says like, I'll give you what you want, but I, I will also end your life and everything that you know about it. Yeah. So he goes back to the ruthlessness of him being a conqueror. <laughs> give me what I want or I'll fucking kill you. Yeah. Which I mean, at the end of the day, that's who he is. He's ruthless. <laughs> he's not a nice person. <laughs> Zero fucks given. Exactly. And, but that's what they really need to establish with this character is like, he's going to sway Scott Lang for, all, for a bit. It's almost like making a deal with the devil, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem that Scott's going to do. But he's good. But he has the one shot to reclaim the everything he wants. That's it. Mephisto and Quantumania confirmed. Oh, that'd be incredible. I I would love to see the cameo of uh was it Sasha Baron Cohen who's rumored to be rumored. playing, stressing rumored to be playing him. But this is where we also see a shot of Scott almost kind of saying the final goodbyes to the mm-hmm. family as well too. So whatever the mission is, which they still haven't said. There is a lot of speculation, though, and I want to stress this. Uh-huh. Speculation, this ties into the bonus scene of Shang-Chi. Mm, because I've no nobody's been talking about it lately. I've seen some videos floating around. Yeah, there's been some videos floating yeah, around yeah. And, and pointing out that there is a, a, a connection of some sort uh, to the Ten Rings. Yeah, so I saw the video. I saw some videos, yeah. Yeah, so... Because the one video I saw is drawing on the bonus scene from Shang-Chi how there was a beacon mm-hmm. when, when uh, what was it, Wong, and uh, I think it was also, what is it, uh, Hulk was there, yep. or, or Bruce Banner, and, and then Captain Marvel were, were analyzing the Ten Rings. And there was that beacon going off, and they're like, where is it going to? And they're like, we have no idea. Yeah. I think that's a smart play to tie it back to it. I don't know what it has to do with the Ten Rings, Per, per, per se, if it even well, does. Well, the thing I've heard with the Ten Rings is that the Ten Rings, like, there's, there's a similar design i don't know if it's an exact one-to-one but the video i saw was that like the rings that were used by shang chi in the in the end of that movie resembled the rings you see here in uh chronolopolis Mm -hmm. so 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 it could just be an aesthetic thing it could just be a hey it's a similar design let's just use it we we, we, you know why why waste the money and the assets if we've already got them in house you know maybe and plus marvel likes tying that stuff together remember they're the place that touts it's all connected this is true so from there, we get another shot of Chronolopolis, and 
force is moving, yeah. so to speak. So well, an army is getting raised. Yes, an army is getting raised. It goes to a shot that we've seen before of basically Scott chasing after Cassie, who's you know dis- he's disappearing in time, mm-hmm. and this kind of plays into the Ant Man variants that we see. Yeah, because there's like a thousand of them. There's a thousands of thousands of them, and then this ties back into something that we saw rumors of early one because i think it was at san diego comic-con not this past year but the year prior mm-hmm. remember there was that uh, or maybe it was this year regardless there was the point that there was a clip that came out that was rumored that jonathan major's character said to scott lang oh i haven't i killed you before nah, it rings a bell yeah i want to say it was something it that, that leaked out of san diego comic-con and that said that i think that ties into the variance that i think in some timeline that could be he did kill him that could be so this is also where Kang is narrating again, and he's just basically telling Scott, "You don't want to watch this." And you he see, he, tell, he says, "You may not want her to watch this." Yeah, you, yeah. So obviously, something is going on where I think he tried doing a double cross, yeah, and didn't go through. And Scott's like, "We had a deal," mm-hmm. and then you're just seeing Kang go completely off on Scott. Mm-hmm. And in this shot, though, we do see one of the quick glimpses of Modok mm-hmm. in his armor. Yeah. And there is a one that was floating around online. I haven't really been able to pinpoint it. It's got to be a real quick blink and you mess it in the trailer. Right, but it's been making the rounds online. And that is the one only Corey Saul who's playing mm-hmm. Yellow Jacket, who is now Modoc. So you can argue that after Ant-Man 1, somehow, someway, Yellow Jacket made it into the Quantumverse, or this is an alternate timeline, yeah. and he is now Modoc. It works, though. My guess is that it, it is the Yellow Jacket from the 616 Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just he made it into the Quantum Realm, and then he met up with Kang, and Kang started messing around with him, and one led to the other. Yeah, so, I mean, it's going to work, too. Yeah. And and for Ant-Man, Modoc is a perfect villain. Oh, it is, and, and, it, and it makes sense to do it in this instance. I know in in the comics it was he was created by AIM, in this, but you're not going to you're not going to do that. Be like, oh yeah, AIM created this guy, sent him in the quantum realm, and then lost him. Like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, you could, but the problem that you have now is there's so many moving parts in the mm-hmm. MCU. Like, it's tough to give everybody their time, so you kind of have to skip over some things. And this would be one case that you would, because at the end of the day, you get Modok. So I get that point, but mm-hmm. but this is going to be an interesting point to see him now, and obviously with the hatred he has for Scott Lang, it's going to play for some great scenes, and we do see the Modoc armor. Yeah, which, which looks cool. Yeah, I mean it looks cool. Like I say, if you want to see how he looks, it's that's how he is. That's, mm-hmm. that's Modoc to the letter. Like you're going to be laughing in the movie theaters if you have not seen Modoc before. I guarantee you, you're going to be like, "What the heck is this?" But by the time you're done, you're going to be like, "Hmm, I'm going to go check out some comics." But from there. We get a lot more action, and basically Jonathan Majors Kang is unloading on Scott Lang. Yeah, he even says, uh, you thought you could win, you know, but, and so Scott's crawling backwards on the ground, and then Kang does like a, almost does like a curb stop. He does like a one, he just raises one foot in the air, stomps down on the mask, and it's real quick and you miss it, but he does crack one of the lenses. I love this shot. On Scott's helmet. This is such a cool shot in the movie. So you're seeing the, you know, like if you were Scott and seeing that foot come down crashing into the face. Mm-hmm. It's a very cool shot. And then you see, obviously, the helmet is smashed. Yeah. So it's alluding to Scott doesn't survive. But he does drop the line. He's like, I don't have to win, but we just both have to lose. Mm-hmm. And then you see the multiverse of Ant-Man's as he gets swallowed whole. <laughs> and then the final shot is Kang unleashing his energy beams. 
And that's how the trailer wraps up. Mm-hmm. I thought they did a brilliant job with this. February 17th can't come quick enough. Pad, final thoughts on this? Looks great. Super excited to see it. it it's. I think it's still going to have the fun that you're used to with an Ant-Man and the Wasp movie, but it's going to be a little toned down a little bit. You know, it's not necessarily going to be the, hey, let's recap, you know, let's recap everything that happened, you know, since the last movie, since the last time you saw Ant-Man. Like, that might be there, but it's 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 going to be a lot more serious. It's going to be obviously a, little, a lot more dark, and it's going to be very interesting to see because this is the start to Phase 5, and this is, you know, the next big bad with, with uh, Kang. Yeah, I fully agree with you. I thought the trailer came out really good. I'm more excited about this movie than I was because now you have a sense of direction, like what's going on. You don't exactly know what Scott Lang's going for, but the more you start thinking with Shang-Chi and that bonus scene, you can start putting together some dots. And I think that if they are going, that he has to go steal the Ten Rings out of another timeline. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, how crazy would it be if we saw a Shang-Chi cameo in this? I, I would imagine. I mean, I think they're going to tease something coming out of this. I mean, obviously the bonus scene is going to set up for something to come eventually. The only thing I think is kind of off limits right now is Guardians of the Galaxy 3, but yeah. but that's perfectly fine. That's going to be its own thing as well. But I thought for what they did, it worked. They needed to establish Jonathan Majors as a true scary bad guy. Did that completely. Mm-hmm. They introduced Modoc, which they made him very interesting, even though the little cameos we saw, it's enough that you can win over the pop culture audience trying to figure out who it is. Mm-hmm. And then that'll be the only, I don't want to say comic relief in this movie, but I think it, it's going to work on that f- factor, though. Yeah. And you do see a possible ending for Scott Lang because if they really want to hit the ground running with Kang being a devastating force, killing an Avenger is going to do that. Uh, that'll uh, get some attention on you. Yeah. I mean, if it's not going to be him, I would say a safe bet is he kills Hank Pym. Could be. That could be something as well, too. But by the time we leave Quantumania, there's going to be a lot of answers for some questions we have. And more raised, because where is he going to go from here? That's going to be the next phase. Because we do know that the Marvels is due out later this year, Mm -hmm. allegedly. And we do know some MCU shows are coming out as well, Secret Invasion, which I don't think it'll have anything to do with. Probably not. But if the movie slate holds up as it is... That's probably where we're going to see maybe a teaser come through for him next. Uh, so for movies, this is according to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 5 Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. Uh, for movies, you've got uh, Ant-Man and Lost Quantumania, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and then the Marvels releasing this year. And then for television series, uh, also for films in Phase 5, you've got uh, Captain America New World Order in 2024. Thunderbolts in 2024, and then Blade in 2024, and then for uh, television shows, you've got What If Season 2, which could may or may not tie in. I mean, we didn't think the first season would, and then it kind of did once, yeah. it, once it came down to it. Uh, Secret Invasion, Loki Season 2, Ironheart, Echo, Agatha, Covenant of Chaos, and Devil Daredevil Born Again. Now, whether those are all coming out this year, probably not, but we'll see. No, safest bet. Uh, oh, here we go. Loki season two. Oh, here we go. Uh, in the expanded upon television series, there's a table here. So what if season two is, uh, none of these have confirmed release dates, uh, but uh, what if season two is uh, rumored to be early 2023? Secret Invasion is also rumored to be early 2023. Loki is supposed to be, is supposedly going to be mid 2023. Uh, Ironheart's uh, might be looking like late 2023, along with Echo and Agatha Coven of Chaos. Echo was pushed back to Daredevil time period. So okay. I, I so think that'd be early 2024. Yeah, I think that one's off the table as of right now. I'm going to say this. If I have to do locks and leaps about this, 
I think the the lock is obviously Loki. Mm-hmm. We will see Kang show up. There. there might be a mention of him in Secret Invasion. There will De- be a- depend, depending on what happens with the movie. There might there might there won't be like you won't see him, but like you'll hear about it. I agree too. I think you'll hear something because especially if like. Paul Rudd dies, you know, or or even Evangeline Lilly, or or something like that, or even even uh, Hank Pym, like something like that dies, you'll hear Fury mention it. Yeah, I mean that would be something kind of crazy. Because some because if you kill you know someone like a Hank Pym or an Avenger, that'll reach the ears of Nick Fury, and he'll be like, hey, keep an eye on this, you know, something killed an Avenger. What if? And I hope they don't do this. But this, but then again, part of me just wants to see the internet go crazy for a sec. What if he does kill Scott Lang and Scott Lang turns out to be a scroll? <laughs> and that leads right into Secret Invasion. Too convoluted. Yeah. I know. I kind of think that next level about that kind of stuff. But I think the Kang, like I say, is it going to be a lock for Loki? Leap would be Secret Invasion. But I, yeah. I, I think at the latest, though, the Marvels. As long, as long as that comes out on time, I think that he'll be in a cameo at the end. Like he'll be picking up something that he wants to go. Yeah. Get whether it's uh, Miss Marvel's uh, wristbands for, m- for more weapons. Could be. Either way, though, trailer did its job. More excited about this. Tickets are yet to go on sale. Rumor has it next week mm. as we record. So definitely make sure you're watching at your local theaters to see where to go to get tickets for that. And then definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPagePod. What is your thoughts about the latest trailer of Ant-Man and the Wasp? Quantumania. Are you excited for this movie? Are you not? What about MODOK? Let's talk about that, shall we? We're going to take a quick break, though. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to The Capsule Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I'm your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels have to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals, roundtable discussions with passionate fans, and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can also check out our website, www.thecaptionlife.com, to find out where you can listen to us, a list of all of our episodes, and where you can find us on social media under the user name at caption life you'll get a new episode from us every week so hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out coming back for another segment on this edition of the odph podcast and it's been a little quiet with new debuts on tv right Mm -hmm. now we do know last of us is coming out this week for hbo yes hunters uh two season two is coming out on amazon prime video i believe this weekend too but there's been one show that did come out Made a splash amongst the Star Wars community. I know Pat has been dying to talk about this show. Oh, my God, yes. So I decided to take the plunge. I've watched a couple episodes, and that show is Star Wars The Bad Batch on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. So this is something that is a little new to me, so I'm going to let Pat explain what the show is all about. So The Bad Batch uh, focuses around, takes place after the events of Revenge of the Sith. Um, but before Rogue One and A New Hope. So it's kind of in that like 20-year time period where things are kind of like a little, a little bad for the universe at large. Uh, and the main characters of this are this group of clones who are called, who have the nickname The Bad Batch because they they look like, you know, the other clones, but there's a little, something a little different with each one of them. You know, you, you, they're, and they're kind of genetically modified a little bit, like give them an, one has enhanced strength, another one's really smart. You got one who's a good leader, you know, one who's a good sniper shot, you know, and they're kind of like the elite of the elite. They're like, hey, these are the guys that like if you need something odd or bizarre taken care of, they're the guys you get called in. Uh, they got their introduction in the first four episodes of season seven of the Clone Wars. So if you want to get into the show, 
uh, you know, watch those for first four episodes of season seven of the Clone Wars, where it and it it focuses almost exclusively, from what I can remember, around those characters. So it really is an introduction to these characters, and then you can watch those four episodes. And you should watch all of Clone Wars. But if you just want to focus on Batch Batch, watch those four episodes. And then you can watch season uh, one of Bad Batch. It's 16 episodes, which seems like a lot. But these are animated episodes. So they're less than a half hour. It, it won't take you very long to get through. Uh, but so it, season one focuses on this group of characters who have rescued a uh, unaltered female clone uh, named Omega. Hmm. Who is, it's, it's from the Django Fett. Uh, DNA line, but they're unaltered, nothing special about her, you know, but they just uh, clearly the Empire and the Kaminoans have some interest in her, uh, but given everything that goes down with Order 66, uh, our group of clones in the Bad Batch don't have the inhibitor chips in, so, okay. so they kind of escape Order 66, uh, and then season, most of Season 1 is just them trying to escape the Empire, like, hey, listen, we're, we're not down with this, we're not, we don't want to be a part of this. There's even one point I remember... From season, I forget what episode it is in season one. Spoiler alert! But came out two years ago at this point. Yeah. Um, where in season one you've got all the clones on Camino and they're listening to the speech uh, the Emperor gives at the end of Revenge of the Set. Well, towards the end of Revenge of the Set, where he's like, "Oh, you know, the attack on my life has left me scarred. You know, a safe Galactic Empire." Like that whole line where where Padme says, "Oh, this is how liberty dies," with thunderous applause. They're watching that speech. And everyone around them who's got the inhibitor chips is like, yeah, yeah, we we love this. This is awesome. Yeah. And they're all kind of like, oh, say what now? Yeah. You know, so season one is them kind of escaping the, the Empire and running on the Empire. Uh, they successfully did so. Although, you know, a lot of the Empire, hey, well, they think they're dead. But uh, the one in their group, uh, I forget what his name is. I think it's like Longshot or something like that. They've all got kind of like code names. Um, you know, knows he's like, listen, I know these guys well, they're, they're, they're not dead, but I'm going to find them. So that leads us into season two, which had the first two episodes air, uh, drop on January 4th. The third episode is out now. It is amazing. Cannot recommend it enough. It is Dave Filoni does work on this. He's not directing any of the episodes, but he, but he is an executive producer. Uh, you know, I have sung the praises of Dave Filoni for years. He is one of, if not the best storytellers in Star Wars, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I cannot recommend the show enough. Yeah, I mean, that's Pat's spoiler-free statement about this show. So I'm, I'll go into mine, and then we'll do the countdown like we've always done. So this is the first time I really dove into this show. Mm-hmm. Like, I've kind of gl- glared at it a couple times. It's been on the background as I'm sure. doing a lot of reviews and such. I got to admit, I thought this show was pretty solid for the mm-hmm. for the two episodes that it came out with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of moves at a, a, a quick pace, but even if for me who jumped in, mm-hmm. I'll say relatively cold. Mm-hmm. It was easy enough to pick up. Yep. It was easy enough to figure out what they were up to mm-hmm. and seeing what they were kind of falling into. But then again, this is something like you touched upon. This is Dave Filoni written all over it. Oh, yeah. Like the minute I'm watching about five minutes in, I'm going, oh, this is Filoni. And sure enough, who is behind this right at the end. Mm-hmm. So this made a lot of sense in that aspect. But it's an interesting story to see how this plays out. I mean, obviously, we know what is going to happen in a few years. Mm-hmm. So we can appreciate the side story going on. Is mm-hmm. this going to be anything groundbreaking to Star Wars? No. But for, for an animated show, it's very entertaining. Mm-hmm. It does its job. And it definitely kind of throws a little backstory on a couple characters, especially the item that they were looking for. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely worth a watch if you're looking for something to do early on in 2023. Mm-hmm. 
And like I say, Pad hit it right on the head. It's a very short episode, so you can buzz right through it if you need to yeah. binge watch. Yeah. So I, re- I highly recommend that because there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out in the next couple months. And obviously, they're planning on going right through March, I believe. With this yeah, show. so the, this uh, season is 16 total episodes. Uh, started on January 4th. Uh, the final two episodes are uh, debuting on March 29th. Yeah, so they're definitely going to take some time and do this, mm-hmm. which is perfectly fine, too, because, you know what, I always say this. If you need content, just go check out a streaming service. You'll find something, mm-hmm. especially for Star Wars 2, because obviously everybody is waiting with bated breath for Mandalorian Season 3. Uh-huh. So we need something to tide us over if you're into the Star Wars universe. This is a perfect way to do yeah. it. Yeah. So that said, let's get into that spoiler talk, shall we? In three, two, one. Pad. Talk to me. Like you said, they did really good with the writing in this. And I, I will admit, I forgot this was coming up and, and I until there wasn't time to really do a rewatch. Mm-hmm. So I had not seen season one since the episodes aired. So I was going in not as cold as you, but pretty damn cold. Yeah. Not remembering ever all the specifics and everything. But it does it does start off very quick. You don't really need a whole lot to understand where it's going with season two. You can almost if you don't want all the backstory, you can almost jump in with season one with episode one of season two and, and go from there and, and go back and watch the prior stuff just to kind of fill in the details. Uh, but the first two episodes they debuted and then you got the third one that came out uh, all fantastic episodes. I love what they're doing. I love when they go back to, uh, you know, old Clone Wars world or old sets. So it's like, you don't expect to see them anymore with, with when some of the people involved with those areas are gone mm-hmm. and they go back and you're like, Oh, that's, we're going here again. That's awesome to see. Fantastic episodes. I can't wait to see where they go, and I'm expecting some big things. They had me at Count Doku's Mm -hmm. finances. Mm -hmm. The minute we started talking that in the Mm -hmm. war chest. The war chest. I'm like, okay. Yeah. This is going to be interesting. Yeah, because at this point with the story, the the Bad Batch is like a group of, I don't want to say bounty hunters, but they're guns for hire. Yeah, I mean, they almost remind me of the Suicide Squad. A little bit, almost like a little bit. It, it, similarities, not full blown. They're, they're they're doing jobs. They're you know they're taking up uh, contracts, I guess you could say. And yeah, they, and they get presented with this with this quote unquote contract where it's like, hey, we need some money. There's a lot of money. Duke who had a giant war because he hey, in case you didn't know, he was the head of the uh, the Confederacy. You know the separatists. Yeah, you know, and and he had a giant war chest that's conveniently sitting on his planet. And the Bad Batch is kind of reluctant about the whole thing because they're like, well, okay, we could, but that's in the heart of Imperial territory, and we've been doing our best to stay off of Imperial radars. Mm-hmm. And initially, they're all like, no, we're not going to we're not gonna do this. No, absolutely not. You know, but then uh, one by one, they kind of get persuaded into it, like, okay, yeah, fine. And so then you got the only one they have left to convince is the leader, whose name is uh, Hunter. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, listen, we're all in agreement on this. We want to do this. And he's like, fine, okay, we'll do this. Well, he understands the gravity of the situation. Being the leader, you have to have that cool head about mm-hmm. you. And all they're saying is like, listen, we've got a lot of people looking for us. If we can get this war chest, yeah, we're going to be okay. Because we can probably buy our way out of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So I can understand the reluctance by Hunter, though, because obviously he's like, we've just been running from the order. Why do we want to get on their on their radar? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. But the ends justify the means. So he's like, okay, yeah. if we're going to go mess with the order, I mean, the Empire, like, okay, we'll take our shot and do this. However, though, like all best played lands. Mm-hmm. It just goes up in smoke. Because mm-hmm. they get to uh, Serrano is the planet's name. Uh, and they kind of land there, and they're walking through. And at one point, Omega goes, 
where where's the town and and uh one of the other clones or yeah clones goes this is all that's left and, yeah. and it's been raised to the ground they're like this is what happens when the empire comes through mm-hmm. and it's really showing that that brutal side of the empire that we'll all come to know and some of us will love uh you know when it comes time for a new hope and and the empire strikes back and all that you know so they then get towards the uh castle mansion whatever you want to call it and that's when the monkey wrench gets thrown in uh because not only are they in the heart of imperial territory well the empire's there yeah they're aware of it they know how much is there roughly uh and they're in the process of taking it yeah so the batch walks right into it (laughs) and of course and they're like hey we're really good we're really skilled we can get in there and get out of here without any uh, issues and without being seen yeah. Famous last words. Famous last words, because they're like, oh, yeah, we'll do this. And it's like, yep, mm-hmm. they're waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And the fight breaks out just as much as you would think about, which some of the members get trapped mm-hmm. and not in a place that they want to get trapped. No, it's in one of the hearts of the transport cargo transports. that's hauling all of the uh, money away. And, and, you know, because they get the one clone who's good at hacking and good at technological stuff. And they're like, oh, hey, here, listen, open it up, crack it open. And he's patching himself in and he's working his magic and he's trying to do this. And he's like, uh, bad news. I can't break it open. Uh, it's locked from the outside. Yeah. So Omega radios to uh, Hunter and goes, hey, uh, so bad news. Uh, we can't get out. It's locked from the outside. And he's he- like, all right, hey, we'll be on our way to save you. Yeah. So. They kind of have to fight their way out of it too, because Hunter and I believe it was Wrecker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's really strong. Yeah, are trying to get away from uh, yeah what is uh, the force of the Empire coming after them? Because mm-hmm, eventually they they do get eyes on them. And they're like, hey, we know these guys. They're they're supposed to be dead, but they're not. Yeah, so it doesn't exactly go where it, it's expected to. Obviously, the cargo plane crashes mm-hmm. and. This kind of just leads to more problems on the way. Yeah, and I love the writing with this episode because there was a... The first time I saw it, I thought it was just a throwaway scene, but it ends up playing a part later where Omega is talking with Hunter, and Hunter is quizzing her on shuttle classes and what they hold and this and that. And I'm like, the first time I saw it, I'm like, yeah, whatever. But then the second time, you know, knowing what happens, I'm like, oh... So when she gets in the cargo ship, this is why she's able to identify what type it is and why the cargo ship, why the cargo containers in there have thrusters and this and that, because Hunter quizzes her on this stuff. That's a brilliant little throwaway scene they put in there, but actually means something. Yeah, this is a, that was a nice little Easter egg they put in. Yeah, because the more you think about it, it's like, okay, yeah, he's kind of guiding them about what to do. And is very smart about this because, like I said, when they finally wind up crashing, mm-hmm. the team is trying to get back to their ship. Yep. And obviously... You don't exactly have a nice, easy path No, right back. Because then they go into where we're talking now, episode two. Mm-hmm. They run into a character that kind of is a little bit of inspiration to them at one point. Yeah, so this is just kind of one of the local. I don't even know if we ever find out this guy's name. I don't, I don't remember. But he's a local to Sereno. He's, mm-hmm. one of, he's one of the last ones there. And as they're trying to sneak through... The uh the forest to try and, and reunite with with Rucker and Hunter, you know he comes upon him. And he's like, hey, I don't mean any harm. This is fine. You know, I'll just let you guys go. And they're like, no, because they've got their their helmets on and they can see thermal and all that. They're like, hey, no, we know you have. A, I think even the one goes, we know you have a domicile. You know, yeah. And I can I can detect it on heat radar. You're gonna take us there. And he goes, fine, okay. Yeah. So during this trip, they mm-hmm. 
they find out a little bit more about like what it could be without the being soldiers and living free. Yeah. So they get basically the blueprint of what they want and mm-hmm. the whole deal you're going after for this Doku war chest, mm-hmm. which I thought was very smart because you think about it in the land of Star Wars mm-hmm. and outside of the Jedi, mm-hmm. it's a little rough. Let's be honest. Yeah, it is. I mean, you've got Luke and his family, his aunt and uncle literally harvesting water out of the air. Yeah. Like, that's not a glamorous job. And everybody else is doing mercenary work. Uh-huh. Like, this is how lawless this place is. About the only good planet you can have it on is maybe Naboo. Yeah. You know, because it's kind of like it's kind of like an Italian Mediterranean tropics. You know, not too bad. But you think about it. Okay, you, oh, what about Coruscant? You delve too deep, you're going to get shot. Yeah. You're on Tatooine, you're going to freaking burn to death. You know, Hoth, you're going to freeze your ass off. Endor, well, enough said. Yeah. You know, there, there's not a lot of good places out there. And you understand why the Empire does what they do, because they're like, everything here is ruined. We mm-hmm. got to go fix this. So you can understand why they're the, trying to take over the universe. The Empire's also got a little bit of a black hole getting built in the galaxy right about now. Ah, <laughs> something, called, something called a Death Star. Ah, you know. Costs they, a little bit of money. They need a little backup plan just in case they want to do some house cleaning. It's okay. Yeah. It's perfectly fine. This is true. We, you know, we just talked, we chalked that up to what pad? Reasons. Nevertheless, we see, though, Omega is very impacted by this conversation mm-hmm. because now you have the the idea and the means to get that life you always wanted. Mm-hmm. Much in the same vein, in kind of a weird parallel in segments to Ant-Man, yeah. that you now have an opportunity to improve your status, yeah. and you don't have to keep fighting because if you get enough money in the lawless world of, well, I should say worlds of Star Wars, mm-hmm. You can pretty much buy your way out of a lot of things. Yeah. It's a weird concept, but they can they can wind up doing this. But as Omega takes off, Echo and Tech are going after her. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you run into more of the Imperial Army. Yeah, because it's never just a few. It's a whole army. Yeah, you never run it. Yeah, exactly. Like I say, I can't stress. Like, watching the scene, this is where it gets me perplexed as I'm talking. Mm-hmm. They know as soldiers, mm-hmm. if you're moving anywhere in enemy territory, mm-hmm. especially for a highly sought-after item such as the money mm-hmm. of Doku, mm-hmm. you know the Empire is sending everybody and anybody to go get oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, why would you think it would be, like, okay... Oh, they won't miss just one case missing. No, they're going to miss it, and they're going to look for it. Yeah, like, they watch everything. That goes on, except <laughs> except blueprints for the Death Star, but that's a different story. Yeah, that's true. But this is where I like. I was kind of struggling to watch. I'm like, okay, not that I didn't like it, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of like. Well, I think the thing of it is, is I think the rest of them, you know, outside of Omega, they were ready to just cut and leave. Yeah, they're, they're like, hey, let's. This ain't worth it. There's there's just way too much going on. There's the odds are stacked way too high against us. But Omega had it. In her head, they're like, no, we need to do this. We, we, we you need the money. You need to, your freedom. Mm-hmm. And she kind of went off noble cause and, and noble reasons, but you know, not noble reasons aren't always the right reasons. No, and especially not in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, that's true. Like I say, there's very few. Even the Jedi's are kind of questionable. Let's be honest. Because because if I remember right, you know, the you know outside of Hunter and Wrecker, the rest of them were already like, all right, let's reunite with our with our buddies and just get out of here. Yeah. And then Omega disappeared, and they're like, well, fuck, now we can't leave. we got to find her. Yeah, so it really turns into this big cat-and-mouse game, so to speak, because yeah. every, everybody's trying to chase something here. But during this, like I say, they kind of run into the search parties, 
Everybody has to really fight their way out of this. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Hunter and Wrecker are trying to catch up with them. They finally do. Yep. So that's the cool thing about this is the band gets back together, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So when with this going on, too, there's kind of a weird ending, though. Mm-hmm. At least I thought so. And I guess maybe I have to get this idea out of my head, though. Okay. When we see somebody get killed in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. It throws me for a loop because it's on Disney. Mm-hmm. And I got to get this out of my head because, like, especially with animation, like, mm-hmm. seeing how this ended, it really threw me, like, for a curveball. Like, okay, mm-hmm. like, we're, we're going this place. Well, yeah, because it has a nice ending in that, you know, the local dude from Sereno, who's, like, the last one person living there, can't get a hold of all the information in the history of his people. Yeah. Because at one point he says to the clones, listen, there was more to this world before, you know, Count Dooku showed up and and was doing everything he did. Like, we had a history. We had, a you know, a life and everything else. And it's all in this thing, and I can't get access to it. And they eventually get into it. They're like, hey, here you go. He's like, oh, my God, thank you so much. So it does end on this happy note of like, hey, they've got he's got the information back. But then we get to the end where it's, you know, it's a uh, vice admiral Rampart is his name who goes, oh, I'm here on I'm here on Imperial business. You know, I, I saw your report about the uh, what happened on, on Sorrento and I'm here to amend a few statements. And the, and the clone goes, well, amend what statements? Oh, you didn't run into anybody. Clone Force 99. Clone Force 99 is dead. And he goes, no, we saw them. You know, we, I got visual confirmation on two of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to lie and, and fudge a report an official official imperial report and it basically he uh the vice admiral looks at him and goes mm, well that's a shame and shoots and kills him yeah which was like out of nowhere like okay mm-hmm. but then again this goes in the empire playbook like i say they they get very ruthless when they need to and they're all very cutthroat against each other mm-hmm. to cover their own asses it's a weird thing but you know it's it's the empire way yeah. So it still works, though, for the show. Mm-hmm. And that's how it ends for the, the first two episodes. Yeah. So I have to say, like, I was impressed with the show. Yeah. Like I say, it, like, I'm not saying this is my favorite thing in the world, but I'm going to go back and watch it. Yeah. I highly, highly recommend it, uh, especially for episode three. A uh, little, little teaser, because that one dropped today. Um, a little little clone commander named uh, Cody shows up. Might, you might know him from uh, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, was teamed up with Obi Wan for parts of uh, a little about, about half of Revenge of the Sith. Cody shows up. If he doesn't come out with adrenaline in my soul, <laughs> something, something, Cody Rhodes, I don't want it. But I tell you what, I'm going to definitely watch this episode, and I'm thinking we're going to do a little back watch too as well. Yeah, like I said, if you want to get into the series, watch the first four episodes of season seven of the Clone Wars. That was kind of their like backdoor pilot for this show. And then you can go and watch season one. Yeah. I just got to watch how much I'm loading up, too, because, like I said, Last of Us is coming out, which we'll be talking about next week on the show. And then Hunters is coming out, too, on uh, Amazon right. Prime. I want to say that's coming out uh, Friday, I think. Regardless of that, though, The Bad Batch is worth the time to check out. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. Have you been watching The Bad Batch? Let's talk about this, because I know we've had a couple of uh, listeners of the show tweet in about it and say, like, you should really check this out. What's everybody feeling about season two? First two episodes are out. Third one just dropped today. What's the vibe? Are you digging the show or are you not? What do you think is going to be happening this season? Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you tired of watching the same old awesome movies? Are B-movies more your style? Then the folks over at They Call This A Movie have you covered. Join us every Thursday as we review the worst of the worst in sci-fi, action, comedy, and more. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean at theycallthisamovie.podbean.com. 
They called this a movie, testing the strength of friendships, one terrible movie at a time. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And there's been some CW slash DC Comics news that Mm -hmm. broke out. It's kind of two stories connected, but not... Mm -hmm. But we figure we kind of merge them into one segment and kind of break it down and give us uh, our thoughts. Yeah, so uh, the news is that Greg Berlanti, uh, the man behind the Arrowverse, so Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, Superman and Lois, uh, Batwoman, uh, Black Lightning, I might be forgetting a few, could be wrong, uh, signed a new overall deal with Warner Brothers Television Group. Uh, and reading from an article on Deadline.com, it reads, uh, quote, Warner Brothers is keeping their most prolific TV producer of the last decade in the fold. Greg Berlanti has closed a massive new new four-year exclusive overall deal for his Berlanti Productions to remain at the studio for its television operations into the year 2027. No financial terms were, are being disclosed, but sources indicate that the pact is structured differently than Berlanti's most recent blockbuster overall deal with Warner Brothers TV group, uh, who value, whose value has had been estimated to be more than $300 million, and as much as $400 million over six years. The agreement involved the studio buying out Berlanti's back end on his shows, while the new deal is more of a joint venture with a uh, big potential upside for Berlanti, sources told. Uh, excuse me, sources said. In success, based on the number of series that the new deal yields and f- their profitability, it could be the biggest TV deal ever for Warner Brothers. It marks the first re-up for a top TV creative talent since the Discovery merger, with the company's new leadership sending a signal that, even with the cost-cutting measures, including a slew of write-offs that have made uh, headlines over the past nine months, they are willing to step up in order to keep the biggest names on their talent roster. Quote, Greg is a huge talent, and the impact of his prolific and powerful storytelling on Warner Brothers and audiences and on our culture is just wow, said David Zlaslav, CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery. He began his career with us, and we are incredibly fortunate that he will continue to build and grow our TV studio into the future. Uh, Close quote. Under the terms of the deal, Berlanti Productions, in which Berlanti is partnered with longtime collaborator Sarah... uh, Shredder uh, will continue to develop new television programming to be produced by divisions of Warner Brothers TV Group for all platforms, including WBD's HBO Max, external streaming services, cable, and the broadcast networks. Like the last time Berlanti re-upped with Warner Brothers TV Group, the new pact came together quickly uh, with about two years left on his previous deal as Berlanti's new agents at CAA worked together, th- worked through the holidays, and Channing Dungy closed the deal for the studio, sources said. Close quote. So this big deal for W, or yeah, I was going to say WBD. Yeah. I, I have to get used to saying that. It's been a while. But Berlanti staying there, that's a huge move on their part. Yeah. And it's kind of an interesting time period for him and whatever is going to be going on with CW. Mm-hmm. And it, does this lead to a doorway to more on HBO Max? I think it certainly leads to more on HBO Max. I think this also means, and we'll get to this in a little bit, it means more that there will be more Superman and Lois past season three. Because mm-hmm. uh, while it's been, we know we're getting a season three, they haven't said anything about season four. But the fact that he just re up for however much money it ends up being, Tells me we're going to get more than just the three seasons of Superman and Lois on the CW. Yeah, which I'm super excited about. And, yeah. And obviously, you take a look at his track record that he's touched upon. Like, he is the guy that is behind the modern DC universe on the CW. Mm-hmm. And the shows that have come out, 
have been very successful. Yeah. And really, I would say, provided a good blueprint to yeah. the MCU shows in the same in this vein that introducing characters that were not household names to start with to a pop culture audience. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Arrow, comic fans knew, but if you say Green Arrow to most pop culture fans, right. nobody really was jumping at it. And especially the depiction that Stephen Amell did, which was trying to fit into the Christopher Nolan Batman universe. Mm-hmm. And it was a very darker Green Arrow than we're used to. And having that be such a hit, that opened up the doorway for arguably the biggest hit out of the bunch, and that was The Flash. Mm-hmm. who we had all known, legendary DC Comics superhero, already had a little run, pun intended, on, C- <laughs> on CBS many years ago, and introducing Grant Gustin and the world of Barry Allen to a modern audience and really won people over. Mm-hmm. Ratings hit all over the place. In fact, Grant Gustin should have been in the movies. Just yeah. saying that, and we'll probably be saying that well after the latest Flash movie comes out. Just going to yeah. put that out there. But from there, Legends of Tomorrow, which was probably one of the bigger gambles at the time. Yeah, I would say so. To come out because you took a lot of relative unknown characters in the DC universe and really made them very prominent for a season. And you're having a rotating cast. And it definitely worked to connect an audience and you're growing your own universe. So to show that you can do this, especially with not household names for the most part, Mm -hmm. a couple here and there, sure. 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 But to do this and be as successful as he was with this, that's just such a feather in the cap. Mm-hmm. And then obviously as the Berlanti universe went on with Supergirl and Black Lightning and Batwoman mm-hmm. and you know most of the shows that come out, and especially right now up to Superman and Lois, yeah. which has been such a monster hit too. Yeah. You have to say for Warner Brothers, this is such a smart move, and especially if you're doing the transition phase not only with the dawn of DC in comics and in movies, but now in TV as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, the guy, the guy's got hit after hit after hit. I mean, I'm looking at his IMDb page. I did not realize uh, he was a co-executive producer on Dawson's Creek back in the day. Yeah. Which was wild. I mean, he did work on, you know, he was a producer on, and this is just his producer work, uh, was a producer on the reboot of, or remake of Eli Stone, which was on uh, TV in 2008, 2009. Uh, producer for Green Lantern, which, say what you will about the movie. Sure. Not good, but he was a producer on it. Uh, we mentioned he did, he did work on Arrow and all the other CW uh, Arrowverse DC shows. You know, he did work on Constantine, City of Demons, the movie. You know, he was did work on God Friended Me, Blind Spot. Uh, let's see, uh, Prodigal Son. He was a producer on Free Guy, uh, the Ryan Reynolds movie, Titans. Uh, let's see, uh, Batwoman, Fl- The Flight Attendant. Uh, that's the one with Kaylee Cuoco on HBO Max. Not bad, got to admit. Uh, he did work on Riverdale, uh, All American, All American Homecoming. You know, Kung Fu, Star Girl, Doom Patrol, Titans. Yeah, he's had his fingers on the pulse of the comics universe and even some pop culture stuff too. Like I say, Flight Attendant, people didn't. I heard a lot of mixed reactions. I thought it was really good, to be honest with you. Very surprising of how good it was because, like I said, I kind of said the bar low because I really wasn't sure what the show was going to turn mm-hmm. out to be. Really worth the time watching if you haven't got a chance to do that. But like you touched upon, everything he's done, he's had a, a like almost a perfect record with. Some shows took a little while to get to. I sure. mean, like we say, we were very fair and honest with Titans. Yeah. Titans uh, took a while to get to, but this past season has been very good. I got to admit that. Uh, Doom Patrol. Yeah. You know I sing the praises of that all the time. Yeah. 
I mean, just how good that was. And to live in this world where we have a Doom Patrol show, yeah. which is one of the best on TV, let alone superhero TV. Well, and especially some of his non-superhero stuff. I mean, Dawson's Creek, one of the most legendary shows in TV history. But then also some of the other CW stuff, which might not be that well known, but it's still it was successful enough that they ran for multiple seasons. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing, too. When you can run for multiple seasons, that's why we kind of say like Dawson's Creek is kind of le- legendary. Yeah. For that time period. For that time period. That time period of your... If you were really seeing that show, you couldn't escape it. That will, I would say the easiest comparison, and it's not like a one to one, but just in terms of like how popular it is, the easiest thing I can compare it to is this: uh, "This Is Us." Yeah, just like at, literally at the time, everyone was watching Dawson's Creek. Yeah, like it's kind of a weird thing, but especially yeah, a young audience. Yeah, everybody, yeah. everybody's locked and loaded on that. So like I say, when somebody's like, well, it's not really legendary. It's like, oh, the impact it made on pop culture it's not, makes it. It's not legendary for certain audiences now. Right. But if you were around back then, it's legendary. Oh, yeah, exactly. And now to have him locked up long term is a big move. Yeah. And now it's kind of a wide open playbook of where he's going to next. I think the short term Superman and Lois, I think we can breathe a lot easier about. Debuting uh, March 14th. Yes, which has got to be one of the most anticipated debuts of the 2023 season. So, yeah, and I know they're filming because there's some set photos and behind-the-scenes photos from the cast uh, getting posted to their various social medias. Yeah. Uh, so they're filming that right now. And there's a lot of rumors of like who we're going to see this season. I do know, because uh, I saw some photos, we're going to get a slightly reworked suit. Yes. Uh, nothing crazy, just a slightly, a slightly reworked. Right. Uh, and I like it. i got to say, I've seen it. I'll show you after. I'll, I like it. Yeah, like I say, everything they've done with that show reminds you of why you love Superman. Like it's, it, And Superman's due for such a big year. Like, mm-hmm. comic-wise, can't stress this enough. February is going to be a monster month for Superman. Definitely you can hit me up on a hashtag ODPHPod. I'll, I will talk some years off about how excited I am for the new books coming out. But, nevertheless, you open up the playbook, and... At the same time, he'll be closing a playbook, too, because as this deal is getting signed, The Flash will be announcing it's or be starting to run its final season. Uh, it debuts on February 8th. Yes, and there has been a lot of names coming back for this final season. Mm-hmm. Pat, you got the list in front of you? Uh, yeah, so this is according to the Wikipedia page for Season 9 of The Flash. Uh, so this, as we record, might get updated, might get changed, but as we speak, uh, this is what we know. Uh, and this is, I'm just going in the list, it's done in uh, as I read it. Uh, so returning, you have Javissa Leslie as Ryan Wilder, a.k.a. Batwoman, and also a mystery character. Hmm. Uh, you've got Nicole Maines as uh, Naya Nal or Dreamer. Okay. Uh, Andy uh, Mentis as Har- uh, Hartley Rathaway, a.k.a. Pied Piper. Uh, some dude named David Ramsey as John Diggle in Spartan. Ooh. Some dude, never heard of him. Uh, I'm going to butcher this name, so I apologize. Kainan uh, 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 Lonsdale as Wally West, a.k.a. Kid Flash. Okay. Uh, Sandhill uh, Ramathry as Ramsey Rosso, a.k.a. Bloodwork. And then some dude named Stephen Amell as Oliver Queen. Yeah, that was the big one I knew about. uh, Never heard of that guy. Yeah, to see Stephen Amell come back as Oliver Queen. Not sure what it's going to be. It's probably going to be a flashback, I would assume. I would imagine so, although I did like the one quote where it was like, why is Stephen Amell coming back as, uh, or Stephen Amell coming back as Oliver Queen? Who cares? How is he coming back as, as Oliver Queen? Who cares? No, this is a perfect send-off for the show because, let's face it, if it wasn't for 
Arrow being as successful as it was, there would be no Flash. Right. Well, and, and the other thing, too, is this is the end. Once this show's over, this is the end of the Arrowverse because as was confirmed or announced or however you want to spin it at the end of season two of uh, Superman and Lois, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. uh, the Superman and Lois television series does not take place in the same universe as the Arrowverse. Right. It's, it's in a whole separate universe. Yeah, so it's going to end everything that we have now become so accustomed to over the years. To think about what he's done, and now with the names returning, there's one they haven't announced, and I'm going to be, I will say this right now, I'm going to be super pissed if he's not back. Mm-hmm. Wentworth Miller. Ooh, you would have to imagine. You have to. He's got to come Even back for an episode. Captain Cold, I thought was the biggest travesty they did on the show. Yeah, he, is, he was real good. He was amazing, and for him being arguably Flash's number one villain to only be there for a short amount of time, I understand the, the actor went on to do different stuff. So I'll say I've, I don't remember what, but I remember him leaving because like he had something else lined up. Wasn't it the new Prison Break remake? Or uh, something yeah, that, that sounds about right. It was something like that. So I understand why he left. Like, so I'm not mad about that. But when you talk about the Flash, you have to end with the big villains. And I don't know what we're expecting with the final run that is going to be taking place in February. I am hoping they pull a swerve on everybody and it's Captain Cold. I just, That'd be awesome. I'm just fearing that it's going to be you know more reverse Flash for mm-hmm. reasons and you know we're going to do the same thing. But with the names they're bringing back, uh-huh. I, I, you have to be excited about it. Yeah. Just as a final send-off for you know, the Berlanti universe mm-hmm. that we have all grown up with over the past years. Yeah. And I know a lot of people have jumped ship off it. And sure. you know, the, the flash we've been saying for a while should run its final lap. Right. Like it's, it's gone past its car. It's course it's, and it's nothing against the team. There is mm-hmm. just, you get to such a stage where, you, you know, you have such a vast rogues gallery and in my opinion, they didn't utilize it enough. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you're almost kind of like repeating some steps. Yeah. Like, it's just kind of like at that point, it's like, yeah. okay, now is a good time to go. Yeah. Like you don't want to be there too long that nobody wants to care when you go. Well, it's also crazy to think of how long this, just universe, my opinion. this universe has started because I remember season one of Arrow airing and I was in college at the time, mm-hmm. you know, and I know you were trying to convince me to watch it, but I was like, no, because I had, you know, because it was in 2011, 2010. Somewhere in there, maybe 2012. That'd be 2012. 2012, and I had just come off of watching 10 years of Smallville. And, and you know, in and, and Smallville, for those of you who don't know, did their own version of Green Arrow uh, and The Flash. You know, I don't remember the actor who played The Flash, but uh, Justin Hartley, who was on This Is Us mm-hmm. now, uh, was, was the Smallville version of Green Arrow. So, like, I had just come off of 10 seasons of Smallville. I, I really wasn't looking to get into it. Plus, uh, at the time, J.J. Abrams had this new show out called Revolution, which I was like, oh, it's J.J. Abrams. I got to watch this. Fizzled out after two seasons. But, you know, just to think that, like, I started watching it when I was in college, and now here I am, you know, all these years later. It's just wild to think of how long it's been going and just, like, because you don't think about it when you're watching the seasons. Sure. You, you're going through, you're watching the motions, you watch the season premiere, the season finale, and you wait along. But then you get to the end and you think back to where you were when this show and this universe started. It's crazy to think of. Absolutely. 2012 is when it debuted. Okay. I knew it was, it was then because I where I was living at the time. Right. So that said... If it wasn't for Arrow being such a success, and obviously Arrow season two is arguably the greatest season of the DC CW yeah. universe. Yeah. No, we can debate this all day, but no, I'll I'm, agree. I'm, I'll I'm, agree with you. I, I very few people will go against that one. The Flash definitely debuted and right behind. And season one is right behind Arrow season two in the in the best of all time in the CW DC universe. 
because you really captured the essence of why that character works. And I think they've kind of gone away from it a little bit. And I think, bit. but you know, it's, it's not a fault of anybody really. It's just, you kind of get in that situation on TV where it's tough to do a show like that for right. as long as they've done it. Well, and especially, I think it's kind of like they had a formula and the formula worked for them, but the formula for what we liked with those shows changed because you think back to when that started, there was nothing else like it on TV. So right. Smallville, Smallville had just finished, but that was kind of like its own formula. It was a little different. You know, but then you think of this was kind of like the only game in town for superhero television shows. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. would come around and then so would the, the Marvel Netflix universe and then the Marvel Disney Plus universe, you know, and, and that kind of like changed things and, and like our tastes changed and, and whatnot. Like, don't get me wrong, your tastes change over the years, but you can still go back to some of those dishes you liked when you were younger and still enjoy them. Yeah. You know, and, and the same can be said for, for the Arrowverse and the CW shows, you know, but I, I, I don't necessarily think it's like, oh, they got, I think they did get stale a little bit, but I don't think it's necessarily like the one thing from them. I think it's just, hey, our tastes changed. Yeah, I mean, that's a very fair statement. I don't, I don't dispute that at all. I, I think just for me, it, it's reading enough Flash comics over the years. Sure. I just felt like there was more they could have done, but I will say they did try adapting. It's just some storylines just didn't connect. I think if they got the budget like Superman and Lois gets, they'd have been phenomenal. They probably would have been. But like I say... (laughs) You can tell there's a budget difference between those two shows. Absolutely. You you can't even question that. But I just feel like where we could have had more Captain Cold and more Abracadabra and more classic Flash villains, I think we just went to Speedster levels way too much. Mm -hmm. But... That's near the end of the season, so I can't really fault them too much. But for this season coming up, the expectations are now high again. Yeah. Because, let's face it, this is going to be it. The final episode is going to be one that, if you've been watching the CW for many years, you're going to be excited to see how this all plays out. Mm-hmm. And you want to see just one last run off into the sunset for Barry Allen. So I'm going to be excited for it. But with Berlanti now going on to do different things with you know HBO Max, which we have to presume. No, uh, you would figure. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Superman Lois is going to look at me on the CW. Uh, we're not talking about Gotham Knights. <laughs> uh, I, 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 was, I was optimistic for it. And then I saw the trailer and went, ooh, this is not for me. I'm going to try watching the first episode and I'll give my honest opinion. I might have to do it behind Patreon, though, God to be help. honest with you. God help you. Things I do for the show, folks. But nevertheless, though, we have to say congratulations to Greg Berlanti. And then the future is wide open with The Flash closing his doors. Pat, final thoughts? Super excited for the final season of Flash. I think it's going to be an absolute home run. I, th- I think they're going to do like they did for the final season of Arrow and just say, hey, leave it all out on the line. You know, don't hold anything back. And then, listen, Superman and Lois is one of my favorite shows on television. The fact we're getting season three, and I would assume more than see just season three with Berlanti re-upping, give it to me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. So a lot of things to be excited about for the DC Universe final farewell on the CW and the rebirth, so to speak. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Greg Berlanti's deal with uh, Warner Brothers Discovery? Got to be excited about it. And what is your favorite show that he's done? I'm going to pose that to you, the ODPH Society. Hit us up and let us know. And then final thoughts about The Flash, the final season. A lot of finality there, if you will. What's your thoughts about that heading into February? Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Time is going. Yeah. Hey, welcome to the Shane and I Show, or actually, it's not the Shane and I Show, it's a promo. It's a promo for the Shane and I Show, the show about nothing that makes you think of something. 
And we are available wherever you listen to podcasts. Spotify, Apple, what else? Pause. Yeah, but we got like five. We got like four, five seconds three, to fit it. Well, we're two, gonna go a little over. One. So hey, listen you, to you, the show. Uh, yeah, you messed it up. You fucked it up. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, Pad. What you got? Got one thing to talk about, and it's one thing I am super excited for because it was announced uh, by the folks over at Netflix last week that Wednesday has been renewed for season two. Uh, it is oh nice one of, if not the most popular uh, shows on Netflix, depending on who you talk to. I think statistically, it is now the most watched show in Netflix history. Until Stranger Things comes back. Yeah, I was going to say mark the time there. Yeah, uh, reading from an article on uh, Netflix.com says, quote, Wednesday Adams, played by Jenna Ortega, has been put through the ringer. She's been stalked by a bloodthirsty monster. Her raven gown was ruined by red paint. The normies couldn't even spring for real blood. And she's had to brave the scariest threat of all, other teens hmm. but things are looking up for nevermore academy's most popular goth wednesday has been officially renewed for season two quote we can't wait to dive headfirst into another season and explore the kooky spooky world of nevermore wednesday season one co-showrunners miles millar and alfred goff exclusively tell tadum uh we just need to make sure wednesday hasn't emptied the pool first close quote uh, the renewal comes with a new video announcement promising more torture ahead of for Wednesday in season two. Naturally, the amateur detective and mystery writer couldn't have it any other way. Quote, Wednesday sticks to her guns and she's not out to please anybody, Ortega tells Tadum. Uh, which, as someone who used to be an immense popular people pleaser, I really respect. Close quote. Uh, so super excited for this. If you haven't seen season one of Wednesday on Netflix, it is freaking fantastic. Tim Burton's got a heavy hand in it. He directs a number of the episodes. Uh, it's it's fantastic watch. It leaves you, you guessing until the very end. A lot of popular uh, memes coming out of this, obviously, with the dance and everything else. Uh, cannot recommend the show enough. My only wish for season two, because we didn't see him in season one, Cousin It. Yeah, that would be dope. I have to catch up on this show. I'll, it's I'll, so good. I'll be honest. Yeah, I just get tied up with my other things. But no, I've heard nothing but raves about this show. So this is awesome to see it's coming back for season two because a lot yeah. of people are very skeptical about this. Let's I, not I'll, forget. I'll admit, I've seen the Adams Family. You know, I, I saw the Adams Family cartoon show when I was a kid in the 90s. Love the cartoon show. Saw the movies, you know, from Tim Burton, you know, and the Adams Family and the Adams Family values like once on Netflix because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, hey, it's easy. I, I, you know, I've seen the show, but I've never seen, you know, and I saw and I saw some episodes of the old uh, black and white television show on TV land when I was a kid, you know, so I, I saw those movies like once. But like the show came out and I was like, yeah, I might get to it. I might not. Like, it's not high on the radar. And then my girlfriend, Liz, was like, hey, I want to watch uh, Netflix or uh, I want to watch Wednesday. I was like, oh, that's the Adams Family one with like focusing on Wednesday. Adam. I'm like, OK, we'll watch this. I was hooked in one episode. I was like, this is fucking amazing yeah no it's it's on the radar to, to watch i just have not had time to do it mm-hmm. but i'm definitely excited to check that out uh one quick entertainment note and then it's comic time because man there's a lot at the store this week gotta put it that out there if you're not heading down to your local comic shop this week i don't know what to tell you this is a an insane week of books amazing picks we'll get to that in just one second because one of my favorite shows announced that it is going into the final season starting in May. Mm-hmm. So on May 14th, Fear the Walking Dead is has announced that it will be starting its final season. Season 8, AMC made the big announcement. And what can you say about this show that hasn't already been said? I think over the past few years, 
this has surpassed the actual flagship show. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of interesting story ideas that you haven't seen on the flagship show. So we do have to say, keep that in mind because they've had everything from a nuclear warhead go off yeah. in the middle of the zombie apocalypse to all types of insane horror feels that have just had crazy character after crazy character after Pad's favorite character from Smallville, John Glover. John Glover. You know, leading the uh, doomsday cult there. It's just been an insane ride. And obviously, since they added Lenny James as Morgan from the Mm -hmm. flagship show, I feel they really got their feet and really started running with the ball. Because when it first came out, I'll be honest, hated the show. Mm Mm-hmm. Did not like it at all. The, the, we, we yeah, So you and I, before the show, we started this podcast, we w- would on our own watch. You made it through what? Season one? Season one, I was out. Season one, I was or out. Season two, I gave two episodes and I was done. Season two, I quit partway through because I was kind of interested and they were doing some stuff. I'm like, okay, I'm all right with this. But then the one that kind of ticked me off was they were doing this thing in between commercials where it was like a two-minute little snippet of like something happening on a plane. They Like they teased it. I forget what it was called, but they were it's like, oh, there's this sequence taking place on a plane. And then one of these characters is going to join the show. And I'm like, that's different. I've never seen anything like that. I like I liked that idea. And then the person that they brought on the show ended up being a zombie and was killed two minutes into their quote-unquote debut on the show. And I was like, all right, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah, I understand they were trying to do some very interesting things. And in some of the, the side um, episodes, I guess I would say. Sure. Like, <coughs> excuse me. Those little brief ones mm-hmm. were very interesting. Shout out to our guy, Nick. I know he's a writer for uh, some yeah. of those, so definitely shout out to him. But I think for what this show did is, like I say, when they got Lenny James there and him and Morgan really got everybody else to step their game up as far as the characters really started developing. Victor Strand by Coleman Domingo, who's played him you know, for all these years, just when they started having that chemistry together. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, really driving the show. Excuse me as I'm losing my voice here. They were really driving each other and really brought the drama levels up. Mm-hmm. So then when they really came back strong and started to do the anthology style of each character, and then they finally tied everything together, I I think that has been some of the best Walking Dead stuff we've seen in quite some time. I really stand by that statement. This past season was a little wild because, like I said, you're living in a nuclear wasteland. When it's, at least so you're living in a second apocalypse when the first apocalypse is still going on. Yeah, but it worked though, for the most part. There's been there were, not every episode was a home run, but few times it is for any show. But I am excited to see them finally end this, and because it it was kind of leading up to that way. After the season finale last season, I was like, they can only probably go maybe maybe two more at best. But the fact they're going to end. They're going to divide it up, so it's only going to be like how they've been doing the shows pretty much now, a few episodes, and they're going to come back and do another set to end off things. Not going to be the never-ending party that is the Walking Dead finale. Mm-hmm. So that's what I say. Well, the never-ending party is actually a good book. Yeah. Never-ending story, I meant right. to go say. Right. But nevertheless, if you're the Walking Dead, it is ending in May. Definitely be talking about that on the show when that comes up. Like I said, Pad... This is a insane week, an insane week. See, I can't even talk right now mm-hmm. with the amount of quality books coming out at the comic shops this week. So recommendations, DC has a really crazy week coming out. Lazarus Planet Alpha mm. is out, so obviously that's a big storyline that's going on there. One that's close to your heart, Batman The Adventures Continue. Yeah. So season three 
is happening. So that's going to be a book that I know Pat will probably be talking about. Maybe you can hit him up on Twitter, let him know uh, if you're reading that as well. Batman and the Joker, the deadly duo. That has been a wild story, to say the least. And you have to think about everything they have going on right now at DC, going right into the dawn of DC. So there's mm-hmm. been like a, a couple things that people have been kind of waiting to see how it all plays out. But this is still a time to jump in if you are a DC Comics fan, because even when they start doing the dawn, I fear, uh, not, not that I fear, I feel this is going to be like Rebirth. Mm-hmm. That this is going to be back to basics, why you love these heroes, why you hate these villains, and it's all going to come together very nicely. And like I said, the Superman stuff coming out out the gate next month, super excited to talk about that. Over on the Marvel side of things, Dark Web is still going strong. So obviously, if you're reading Amazing Spider-Man number 17, you're going to have that in your pull list. Ghost Rider number 10 is out. And if you talk to our guy, Brian Wayne from Cheers to Comics, you know he's got a lot to say about that. And I also have to give a quick plug to Brian, too, because the Cheersies Awards were this past week. Mm -hmm. Massive success all around. A lot of creators chimed in and have been sharing it. The awards have really taken off on on fires. So next year, I don't know what we're going to wind up doing for it, but the video is out on YouTube right now. It's going to be on podcast form. Uh, I believe on Cheers to Comics relatively soon, if it's not already. But I'm trying to see if we can get a copy here at the ODPH because I definitely want to plug it because it was definitely an amazing time. And like I say, Ghost Rider came up quite often Mm. by Marvel. So if you're not reading that, you definitely need to go check that out. Image Comics, Crazy Week 2 as well. Nemesis Reloaded. So if you haven't read that book by Mark Millar, you definitely want to go check it out. And then let's get into some parlay points, blog recommendations. Kicking off for me. Uh, let's keep it Image Comics. Black Cloak, number one. Mm-hmm. So this book is one that I wasn't expecting to be as amazing as it was. Like, I thought it was going to be interesting, but you sometimes when you hear hype, you don't want to get too excited, mm-hmm. and it doesn't deliver. Holy crap, did this book ever deliver? Kelly Thompson, Meredith McLaren uh, are the team behind this. This is like a sci-fi murder mystery going on. Mm-hmm. It's a big oversized first issue. It's well worth the price. I can't stress enough. This had me locked in from the opening to the ending. Blown away by everything I was seeing going on here. A lot of twists and turns. Didn't give enough away that I was like, all right, I've already solved everything. Mm-hmm. But it's one that I'm like, okay, this book is fantastic. Also, Image Comics. Dead Lucky number five. Mm. You know I'm going to talk some Dead Lucky. Yes, you are. Melissa Flores, French Carlo Manuel, absolutely are setting up for one heck of a season one, fin- or se- or the first arc finale, I should say. It kind of feels like season one because they have announced that after issue six, they're taking a small break and then they're coming back. So that said, they have built up for one hell of a issue six finale, if you will, for the first arc. Shift, who you've seen in Radiant Black, is in this issue. And all I'm going to say, I'm putting this karma out in the world. I know that people from the Radi- or Dead Lucky team listen to the show. I need a Shift and BB team-up slash Suicide Squad-esque team book just for like four issues. The two of them absolutely stole the show for me there because they're back and forth. BB was not taking any nonsense from Shift. And like I say... They're dynamic together, just back and forth banter. Awesome, on point. Whole issue is amazing. Probably my favorite one of the series thus far, Pat. 
And you know how much I love that book. You do, a lot. Yeah, so I rave about it all the time, and I definitely say, if you haven't gotten into the Dead Lucky, go out and go get it and find out when it's coming out on trade paperback if you need to do it that way too. I'm not mad at you about it because you know what? You need to go check this book out. They're doing some damn good work over there. So shout out to everybody that's behind that. Massiverse set up for a big, big, big 2023. You want to get on board now. What else can we say about that? Comicsology Originals. Book of Evil number two. Scott Snyder. Jock. Pad, when have I ever yelled out at an ending of a book, what did you do? Did you have to go at a character like this? Mm, probably every so often. I did at the end of this book. Mm. Now, I'm not doing any spoilers. Because this book is terrifying. <laughs> the story of what is going on with Homer and his friends trying to find his brother Poe. And this absolutely insane new normal. Right. Is absolutely terrifying. And what happens here is absolutely insane. Mm. Because I'm not going to go in spoiler mode here, but I'm just going to put it this way. I read the end of this, and there was a final image drawn by Jock. Mm -hmm. And I immediately yelled out, I'm like, Scott, Jock, why did you, why? Why did we have to do this to him? After all the kid has been through, we do this. And I mean, this, the series is not over. But I'm just saying, I had that much of an emotional impact on this. You're going to have one, too, if you read this book. And I highly recommend it. Comixology Originals, well worth the price of admission alone. You need to get into it. If you haven't gotten into it, I scream about this book online all the time, and rightfully so, because I think it's fucking fantastic. So that is what I'm picking from them. And then to round out, Boom Studios had a triple threat this week that is one you need in your comic collections, ASAP, a uh, multi-cheersy winner, Grim returns. So Grim number seven, Stephanie Phillips, Flaviano, absolutely impressive issue. The second arc is just absolutely crazy. Pat, I would show you images, but I know you don't do horror. Nope. And you would not like some of the images I would show you here because the story is really ramping up steam and going in a really wild direction. And I will just say this. I'll just show you the nice cover by Dan Penosen. Yes, this is just the That's alternative nice. cover. Yeah, he That's does. Good. Yeah, he does great work. Canary, another amazing book on Comicsology Originals, but that is not out just yet. I'm hearing a lot of buzz about that one, but in the meantime, you need to get Grim in your system because Grim is just awesome. Next up, something is killing the children. Twenty-eight, <coughs> obviously, one of the best books consistently, time in and time out. James Tynan, Werther Delerta. And the team over there, just absolutely amazing work, top to bottom. Cutter has been the threat that Erica Slaughter has not been ready for, and I don't think she's ever going to be ready because this issue gets wild in a hurry as Cutter closes in on her goal of taking out Erica. And especially with everything going on in that little small town in New Mexico, it this the drama has just amped up in tenfold. And just like I said, the final moments of this book – going to absolutely blow you away and like i said this whole series has just been amazing top to bottom so if you're not reading that you definitely need to start picking it up like you should go back to volume one because it's well worth the deep dive into it and like i said the the current story arc absolutely killing it and then last but certainly not least specs number three david boer 
Chris Sheehan. The throwback horror book is just ramping up steam going into the final issue. Another intense read, another one that I am absolutely blown away by this. I'm fully expecting this in my karma putting out to the world. This is going to wind up on Netflix. This is going to wind up somewhere. Mm, maybe. They need to make this story. It's awesome. It's wild. The uh, No spoilers, obviously. I don't give those out on here. Uh, you find out a lot about the secret behind the glasses. And all I'm going to say is I was not expecting what I saw. Mm. And I went, holy shit. See, when you get me to swear after I'm reading a book, you know you've done your job. And this is what they've done since day one. This book has been awesome. It's been impressive. And like I say, if you're looking for a great horror comic, this is up the alley. I definitely give it a high, high, high recommendation. A lot of good stuff at the comic shops this week. So as we like to end this edition of the ODPH, always saying, Make sure to go out and support your local comic shops wherever you're at. Go support the medium. It's a great one to be and be positive and go support your fellow independent comic podcast because everybody's putting in a lot of great work. Try and give great recommendations and stuff to go get because we love talking comics here at the ODPH and we know a lot of friends do too. And that's why we have a lot of discussions online. So how you find out about that? Simple. Swing on over to ODPHpodcast.com. Join in on all social media accounts. We talk comics. We talk pro wrestling. We talk movies, TV, sports. A lot of stuff going on this week, too, Pat. Oh, yeah? Oh, I would say so. I mean, obviously, the sports show. Oh, there's been a lot in the land of pro wrestling that we're going to be talking about next (laughs) week. And let's just say this. For all the uh, clickbait that's out there, uh, to quote our great friend Rich from 3FN, we're taking some receipts. Uh, Longer than CBS. Yes. So definitely make sure to join in the conversation for that. And for anything and everything that is the ODP page. Simple, odphpodcast.com. That's all we got for this week. So for the one and only Pat Awanche. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where I know